the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Okay, well, um, uh, this is now, we're kicking off uh, our part two of the first hour of this live stream. Still, it's uh, part of our podcast, Let Us Reason, but also it's part of our live stream that we are doing right now. And we have intentionally called this particular live stream, as you've heard us uh, mention that a couple of times already, Historical Critique of Islam, Introducing the Sin Sifters. And what do we mean by sin? Stands for the standard Islamic narrative. What do we mean by sifters? Dr. J, why don't you show people what we mean by that? There's a sifter right there. This is, uh, I know what this is because my wife has asked me to use it quite often to take uh, material that has lots of imperfections in it and you want to sift that which is pure. That which is imperfect stays behind. That which is pure falls and that is what you hold. You put it in a bowl and you take that and you use it. Now what's left behind, you throw it away. So what we are doing, we are the researchers who are sifting sin. We put sin into this. That's S-I-N, standard Islamic narrative. Joe actually may have come up with this. I think Joe is the one that actually came up with this the, the name, the acronym, S-I-N. So we need to give credit where credit is due. But it was the idea of taking the standard Islamic narrative on a playoff from what Yasser Qadi did way back in June 8, 2020, where he actually says the standards, the Islamic narrative or the standard narrative has holes in it. Listen, there's all kinds of holes. Look at all the thousands of holes that we have here. We're finding all kinds of holes. And that's why the what's fascinating to us is this: the sin sifters, we're the ones who are sifting away the chaff. We're getting away the chaff and coming back to what is left behind. What is left behind is actually the historical material. We've said this over and over again, haven't we? In all of our broadcasts, I say it on Fander Films with all of my friends here, we're always going back to the 7th century. We want to know what really happened historically. We want to know what really happened on the ground. We want to know where it was going on, who it was with, and what is it that they were doing. And we're not interested in the 8th and 9th century. We're sifting all that out and taking in what's left behind is the actual historical truth. So we are the sin sifters. We are the S-I-N sifters. Thank you. Thank you. And before I, uh, I mean, last uh, uh, part, we had the privilege of introducing three uh, of our guests, Dr. J, Brother Mel, and Brother Murad. We are going to introduce also three more, Odin, Paul, and Thomas. But obviously, uh, before I I do that, I want to remind people that this is a two-hour long live stream. So we're not going to cover a whole lot yet in part two, but part three and part four, when we're going to unpack even at a deeper level, more of the work that is being done or maybe even some of the work that will be done uh, in 2022. And just a a side comment, just to my amazing, amazing uh, team at the control room, I am still unable to see my side. If we can raise somehow the TV 
or see the uh, uh, the timer as well because I am not able really to see all of that as of yet. So it's just a matter of logistic uh, location of these things. But thank you so much for doing that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Odin, uh, welcome. And this is really a privilege and an honor for me to uh, meet you. I've heard a lot about you. And uh, I am uh, excited that uh, also our viewers now to, to get to see who you are. So why don't you do the same thing? Just give us a little bit about your background. And at the same time, uh, just tell us about the, the the passion that you have when it comes to the um, this standard Islamic narrative. Well, hello, hello, Al Fadi, hello, everyone, hello, Jay. Thank you for having me. So, as for me, I'm talking from France. I live in Paris. Um, I came across Islam something like uh, 15, 15 years ago through a Muslim colleague who talked to me about his face. And he talked to me also about the what we call the standard Islamic narrative. And uh, at the time, I was working as a strategy consultant uh, in a small firm um, in France, a bit like McKinsey, if you if you know. And I was very curious, and I had a very scientific mind, and I wanted to understand because what my friend, what, what my colleague told me was did not fit what I knew about the Bible, did not fit what I read in the Quran that I bought at the time. And so uh, there was, I think there was something odd in this standard Islamic narrative that it did not fit the description of my friend of a religion completing Christianity, completing Judaism, because what we read in the Quran does not fit this at all. In the Quran, we find something else. It's not a completion. It's not something that comes after Christianity to, 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 to better it, but it's a sort of setback. You, you go back to um, a sort of Judaism. This is what I, I first uh, understood when I read the Quran. And, uh, and then I thought to myself, there must be something. I have to look into the origins of Islam, and I have to look it in a, in a scientific way. And I, I, I took interest in all the, the researches, and, and, and I discovered that the scholars made huge breakthrough, huge breakthrough in the, in the fields of the origins of Islam. Uh, <clears throat> Jay was speaking of Gerald Houting, of Patricia Krohn, but in, in France, there are many, many other scholars, and I've met one. Uh, Dr. Edouard Marie Galez, who actually is from Belgium, he's not French, he's uh, Belgian, and he, he published a thesis in 2005, a huge thesis, 1,200 pages about the origins of Islam, um, which is named uh, Le Messie et son prophète, the Messiah and his prophet. And for the first time, I had a sort of some synthesis of all the discoveries the scholar had made before 2005. Uh, um, I met him, I befriended him, I worked with him, he taught me uh, everything he knew, and I wrote with him a little book about his thesis, which is called The Great Secret of Islam, Le Grand Secret de l'Islam, which is a small book for the general public, because the general public cannot access uh, a thesis which is uh, 1,200 pages. 
And this book had a lot of success here in France. Uh, thousands of copies were sold and uh, 100,000 um, electronic copies were downloaded. And this put me in, in a situation where I had to, to continue to, to keep on studying and to keep on, um, to keep on with, the, the, with science. Because uh, I wrote the book in 2014, and thereafter the discoveries kept on happening. And uh, for example, I befriended the, the director of the Inara Institute. I attended many conferences there. I kept on reading, meeting scholars, and uh, I did a, a sort of big update of my book, uh, my French book, Le Grand Secret de l'Islam, The Great Secret of Islam. Which will be soon available in English, and what what I in, intend to do is to present to the general public a sort of synthesis, the big picture, in fact, the big picture of what happened in the seventh, the eighth, the ninth centuries when Islam emerged, and uh, we we can we can do this now. We can draw this big picture because we have new material, new studies. And especially we, we have, for example, coins that show us that the, the first Arab leaders were not Muslims, but kind of Christians or kind of Zoroastrians in the East, that they did not bear the caliph title, for example, until Abdul Malik. He was the first one to bear the caliph title. So what about the four Rashidun caliphs? But um, mainly and mostly, the, the, um, the main discoveries have been made through, thanks to Quranic studies, and especially to um, the Quranic studies that Edouard Marigales featured in his thesis. He worked with Eastern Christian scholars uh, who, who know, who know Ara Aramaic and Arabic. And thanks to this, a, a new reading of the Quran um, has been made possible. You see, uh, most people, and especially Muslims, read the Quran according to the standard Islamic narrative. When they read Rasul, they think, oh, it must be Muhammad. When they read Bait, they think it must be the Kaaba. When they, uh, when they read Nazarene, they think it must be the Christians. But is it really? And what Edouard Marigales and, um, and his scholars did is applying to the, the Quran the um, exegesis method he, he learned as a priest, because as a priest, he <clears throat> became very knowledgeable in exegesis, which is very simple. It's basic common sense. Common sense. It is about reading a text for what it is, for what it is, what it says literally. And when you do this with the Quran, you start to unveil another story. In the Quran, you find that there is a Jewish community, a Nazarene Jewish community, that was very, very influenced with, the, with its Arab audience. Um, you find that there was an alliance between this Jewish Nazarene community and the Arab audience, and an alliance um, which, which, were, which had the, the purpose to conquer Jerusalem, rebuild its temple, uh, to trigger the apocalypse, to have Jesus come back 
as the, the as its second coming as the Messiah and to establish God's kingdom on earth. Right. That did not happen. So the Arab leaders took upon themselves, took it upon themselves to do Jesus' job because he did not come back. And and so they they fought among themselves over the, the the issue of the the divine legitimacy of their power. And then emerged the, the, the strongest, who was Abdul Malik. Abdul Malik, who, who beat all of his rivals and who established the first caliphate. What is the caliphate? The caliphate is ruled by a caliph. Uh, and Abdul Malik bore the title Khalifat Hala, God's caliph, which means God's lieutenant, God's lieutenant on earth, God's vicar. So the, the caliphate is, is kind of uh, God's kingdom. It is the, the territory where God's justice is enforced. And from there, Islam started to, 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 to deploy, to, to emerge. But it is not until the Abbasid revolution, when the Abbasid coalition took power um, and overthrew the Umayyads, that we really saw Islam uh, happening as a new origin, because it is the Abbasids who invented the very idea of a divine revelation in order to justify their divine power. They could not justify their power as Abdul Malik did, because they just beat his successor. And so they invented this idea of a divine revelation, so they needed a prophet, then they invented the prophecy of Muhammad, and, and they needed um, this revelation to be something. So they invented the Quran as the sacred word of God, and they invented the, the story of the revelation, the Asbab al-Nuzul. They invented Mecca and so on. And so we, we, we now have a sort of very big picture, a grand scheme of things um, to explain how Islam emerged and to explain what is the Quran, what is Mecca, um, what is the prophet, did Muhammad exist, was he a real prophet, an actual prophet, and, and, uh, and so on. But I want to insist on the, um, the very novelty of the Quranic studies that uh, Edouard Marigales introduced, thanks to, to his uh, <coughs> Christian, Eastern Christian friends, um, As you can see, it is really amazing you, you find that the Quran itself can be used as an historical material and can give us proof, evidence, hard evidence of events of the real story, of the actual story, which is what I called the great secret of Islam. Right. And, and Odin, uh, I think we want you to hold off to, to uh, sharing more uh, in a little bit, because this is fascinating, of course, background that you're giving people about your focus on the big picture here, which is very important because really it goes into the heart of the origin of Islam, or at least the official origin of, of the religion as we know it today, and the mention of uh, the Caliph Abdul Malik, obviously. So we'll get back, we'll circle back to you shortly here. Uh, hopefully, uh, if not this part, it will be the next part. 
Now I want to move on to Paul. And and uh, Jay, why don't you go ahead and introduce Paul to us real quickly and let him also take it from there. Oh, I've, I really, I, I like yeah. Paul to introduce himself. I really uh, got to know Paul just a few months ago. Uh, and what I've enjoyed about Paul, he is, he is coming from a whole different standpoint, looking at what we call the Jerusalem thesis. Uh, this is his really, he, I think he actually coined it as well. Now, I understand that Paul is not fitting so well today. So over to you, Paul. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, feel free if you do have to cough or you have to take a, a drink of water. We understand. Thank you for even coming on board for us because it's great to have you. It's good to, to hear your side of things. No, thank, thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, thank you, uh, um, Al-Fadi, for, for having me. Um, yes, my, uh, my background is that I was born in Yorkshire, in uh, Bradford, which is on its way to becoming a, a great Islamic city of, of the West. Um, I've been living in London since 1984. And so I really regard myself as a Londoner, as a Londoner now primarily. Uh, I was a lawyer for 20 years working in a criminal court in London. And then um, I left that and I became a teacher for a while. Uh, in 2018, there was a conference in in um, in England, in London, and uh, there were some really great names in Islamic research there. I'm ashamed to say I didn't really appreciate uh, quite how how illustrious these people were at the time. But I just bought a ticket uh, because well, I was I was interested and I had a bit of time on my hands. And there were uh, it was Nicholas Nikolai Sinai was there, and Gabriel Said Reynolds and Sean Anthony. And I sat uh, a couple of seats down from Stephen Shoemaker. And I didn't really know who any of these people were, but I, I absolutely fell in love with the topic of the Quran and the great mystery of, of what it means. And it was quite clear from, from the first, from the first uh, couple of hours that um, it, Islam is completely different. The, the Quran is completely different to what Muslims think it is. Uh, it's absolutely uh, beyond doubt, but there's no consensus within the academic community as to what the Quran actually it is or what it means. So you've got this hugely, hugely important book, uh, a book that's uh, something like a, a, a fifth or a quarter of the world's population um, assert as the words of God, um, a book that governs such a huge swathe of of uh, the earth's territory from the uh, north atlantic right the way down to the south pacific um and yet what people believe about it simply isn't true uh, just on a on a simple factual level so i was i was enthralled by this and i so happened i'm not a wealthy man but i had a little bit of money uh, that, that came my way and I decided to give myself a sabbatical year and just spend the year reading and uh, books and articles by these people and trying to figure out myself um, what I thought about it all. See if I, there was anything that I could contribute to this debate, which seemed to me vitally important and, and wide open. Yeah. As, uh, as Jay says, I've become most associated with uh, what I call the Jerusalem thesis, which I, I first shared on, on Mel's channel about, about 18 months ago. And this is, in, in a nutshell, that when the Quran refers to a, a, a place as the Masjid al-Haram, the sacred place of prostration, 
and refers to it by various other names, um, the Station of Abraham or the Kaaba or God's House, the Holy House. These are all references to the Jerusalem Temple. And the more one looks at it, um, one, one simply cannot move for evidence that this is the case. The, the, is there so much evidence that, that you can't really summarise it? It's, uh, there's just so much of it. Um, for example, um, one has the correspondences within the Quran to say um, everything, they, everything the Quran says about the Masjid al-Haram seems to be something that relates to the Jerusalem temple. They say that it was built by Abraham, as the Quran, uh, the Quran said it was built by Abraham, and in the Bible, the uh, temple is built upon the site where Abraham built an altar to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, it says it's the first house at Bakar. Well, Bakar is a pilgrimage um, destination on the way to, or stopping point on the way to the uh, pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple. It's frequently referred to as God's house. But then the Quran devotes so much of its, of its text to, uh, to dealing with biblical characters and biblical stories. But where would these biblical characters, where would they regard as God's house? There's nothing in the Quran that ever indicates that, there's a, uh, that God had two houses or that God moves his house or that indeed that there's any kind of geographical divide between the stories that it tells that are based in the Bible and the stories that it tells that are based about the crown's own community. Um, there's no sense, nobody ever goes on this, uh, this 900-mile or whatever um, journey from the Hijaz to Canaan or back again. Uh, the Quran refers to the, um, the Masjid al-Haram as the cube, and the Holy of Holies of the Jerusalem Temple was a cube. And perhaps I think most compelling of all is the role of Jerusalem within the eschatological landscape. It is uh, believed, or it was believed, uh, believed by Christians, uh, that the major events of the apocalypse will take place in and around Jerusalem. The Messiah will um, will descend on Mount Olives. He will then uh, create this, this plain in um, Zechariah chapter 14. He will then come into the Jerusalem temple. And from there, he will gather the nations of the world for judgment outside the gates of Jerusalem. And he will then cast the wicked into the fires of Gehenna. And this is exactly what we find in the Quran. Um, the Quran talks about God creating this great plane of judgment. The Quran talks about uh, seeing God's shin. The Quran talks about um, the wicked being thrown into the fires of what it calls Jahannam. And the Quran talks about going between Safa and Marwa. And Marwa is, is a, a, just an Arabized variant on Mount Moriah, which is where the temple was built. And Safa is an old name for Mount Scopus, which is just across the Kidron Valley. Yeah. All of these correspondences point towards uh, the Jerusalem temple being the place that the Quran is constantly talking about, verse after verse, surah after surah. Right. So, Paul, why don't you hold off to also your, your thoughts on this? Because we're approaching the end of part two, 
And I really would like for you to come back again and, and unpack this part for us, even at a deeper level, if you don't mind. And Thomas, if you don't mind waiting until part three, uh, because I want you to actually introduce yourself. And then we'll start with you by unpacking your thesis uh, or findings concerning uh, you know, your passion uh, uh, when it comes to the Aramaic sources of the Quran. So again, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you for uh, all of you who have shared so far. And uh, next uh, part, we will have uh, Thomas as well, uh, who is the uh, last guest here in this amazing panel that we have. And many people are complimenting that and we're so thankful for that, of course. And uh, if you have been joining us, uh, we uh, were actually doing this live stream on what we call the historical critique of Islam, introducing the sin sifters, and the sin stands for the standard Islamic narrative. Again, thank you so much, of course, uh, Dr. J, for introducing all of this uh, uh, amazing panelist uh, to us, and hopefully everyone is enjoying this. We still have one more hour to go, so, uh, you know, don't go anywhere. We are going to wrap this part of the podcast, and we'll come back again in a few seconds to start part three. Uh, of the podcast, but at the same time, we're continuing, of course, with this live stream. And I want to just say something to my moderators, anyone who is distracting, block him. And I wish I can say the same thing about Jason Bourne, who is not Jason nor Bourne, by the way. I mean, he can dare to be Jason Bourne, the real one, but he's babbling the whole time. I wish the moderators over there will take care of this babbler. That's why he's not on that's my on channel. This, that's on Fender. Yeah, that's, not, that's why he's not on my channel, because we don't uh, put up with this kind of stuff. But that's okay. You're fortunate, actually, that you are not on my channel right now. With that in mind, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Stay tuned for the next part in a few seconds. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.